0: Welcome to Book Clips, a weekly podcast featuring author readings, produced by The Lesbian Review, connecting lovers of lesfic with lesbian authors. You can find more information on this book in the show notes. And don't forget to help others find this podcast by rating and subscribing on iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. This is Kate Peck, reading from my novel Prairie Fire. From heaven to hell, the bed felt good. Damn good, but not as good as the woman lying beside her. Judy woke slowly, enjoying the little peace of heaven that was now the start of all her days. Two years it had been, two years since Kathleen walked into her solitary life, totally unexpected, like a gift from the universe. Judy snuggled close, spooning beside her lover, burying her face in the vanilla scent of Kathleen's hair. Chores awaited. Judy knew the horses were probably already snorting in the corrals, waiting for breakfast and there were chickens to feed and eggs to gather, a new development that Kathleen had insisted they add to their country life. Judy didn't mind the extra work. Fresh eggs were well worth a few minutes' work each morning, and Judy had a growing affection for Cogburn, their bantam rooster. The morning ritual of the nose-to-beak greeting between Cogburn and her dog, Useless, was a joy she had grown to count on as she watched the depth of this non-traditional friendship. Very soon Judy would put on her boots, jeans, and worn denim shirt and head outside, but not yet. Now she was warm and comfortable and holding the woman she loved more than she ever thought she could love anyone. Mm, Kathleen said. You awake? Judy whispered into Kathleen's hair. Reluctantly, Kathleen mumbled into the pillow. Judy nibbled playfully where Kathleen's neck conjoined with her shoulder. "'Okay, not not so reluctantly now,' Kathleen said as she rolled over, her arm raised, until, with well-practiced synchronicity, they achieved a final position with Kathleen's arm around Judy and Judy's head resting on Kathleen's shoulder. Judy raised slightly, positioning herself for a gentle and deep kiss. Kathleen put her hand playfully over her mouth. "'I have morning breath,' she mumbled behind her hand. Judy nuzzled at the hand barrier. "'I love your morning breath,' she said. The kiss was gentle but deep, as much loving familiarity as passion. Judy finally pulled back, positioning herself half atop and half beside her lover. "'I love you,' she whispered into her lover's face. Judy's eyes widened, one eyebrow raising in mild disdain. Judy rolled slightly to the side and put her hand over her own mouth. "'Sorry, I, I guess it's the onions from last night's enchiladas,' she said. Kathleen laughed softly and reached to brush a whisper of hair from a lover's face. I love you too, Judy Proctor. Morning breath and all. She nestled her face between Judy's breasts and inhaled deeply. The rest of you smells absolutely wonderful. Judy smiled and chuckled, inhaling deeply to enjoy the combined sense of their sleepy bodies. Mid-breath she stopped, sitting up abruptly. I thought you liked my morning breath, Kathleen said. Smell, Judy said harshly. What? The onions aren't that bad, Kathleen answered. Smell Judy demanded again. Kathleen sat up and inhaled deeply. Her face registered surprise and concern. They looked at each other with shared urgency. Smoke they said in unison. The leisurely morning evaporated. In minutes they were both in clothes and boots and hitting out the front door. Both dogs, useless and some good, crawled from their summer beds beneath the porch, greeting their mistresses but neither woman took time for the usual pet and scratch behind the ears. Instead, their attention was focused on a wall of smoke not a mile south of their home and ranch headquarters. Prairie fire. Call the fire department, Judy yelled as she started for the barn. Call 911, Kathleen asked. No, the fire department number posted on the refrigerator. The 911 number doesn't work here, Judy answered, pausing to turn and look at Kathleen. It will take them an hour to get here, Kathleen said. Call anyway! Then call the Kentons, Judy yelled as she ran toward the barn. The thought of the Kentons gave her more comfort than the distant fire department in the town of Dolson. They were neighbors, friends, and a second family. She felt she could face almost anything with a Kenton by her side. For three generations, the proctors and the Kentons had watched each other's backs. What will we do? Kathleen yelled. Judy barely paused, pivoting briefly back toward Kathleen. Fight it! "'Shut some good and useless in the house,' she said. "'At a dead run, Julie half climbed, half jumped over the fence "'to the horse pasture behind the barn. "'She ran to the far end and opened the wire gate "'leading to the far larger cattle pasture behind the house. "'The horses were agitated in the corrals, troubled by the smoke. "'She opened the corral gate, and her horse, Jackson, "'Kathleen's gilding dancer, and her late father's horse, "'Big Tom, thundered past, glad to be free of the corrals. "'Stay free of the fire, boys! "'That's all the help I can give you,' Judy said. Her heart twisted in fear for the horses she loved. Badly winded, Judy forced herself to slower pace as she headed back to the barn. A broken ankle from a wild run would make her useless as the community gathered to fight the fire. Judy grabbed a stack of gunny sacks from the feed room and a wide scoop shovel from the small metal silo where they stored oats for the horses. Judy knew that the sacks and the shovel had the wide surface area so helpful in beating down the flames of a grass fire. She hoped they'd still work. In her life, she fought two prairie fires, both small. As she trotted back to the house where her truck was parked, she looked south to the billows of smoke, knowing exactly where the fire was. It was a field where her father had planted winter wheat for decades. For five years, that field had been part of the Federal Crop Production Program, planted back to grass and left untouched. The grass was higher and thicker than any she'd ever seen on her semi-arid prairie. She prayed the method she knew would work, she thought about the brief thunderstorm she and Kathleen had driven through the night before while coming home from dinner in town. Lightning, Judy thought. Lightning had to have started it. Kathleen stood by the truck, holding a shovel from the garden and a gallon milk jug of drinking water. Can I use this? Kathleen asked, holding up the shovel. Perfect, Judy answered. Fire department is on the way. Julie Kenton said Curly Thomas already picked up Harold Brad and Martha, and they're on their way over. Judy's heart went cold as she looked at her lover she felt fear like none she'd ever known as she envisioned kathleen surrounded by fire honey you don't have to go i mean it's not fuck you this is my home too kathleen answered the cold steel judy saw glinting in kathleen's eyes made it clear there would be no more argument. both women were so engrossed in each other and the silent conflict that neither of them noticed the pickup roaring down the county road beside the house until it turned into the yard and slammed to a halt raising a dense cloud of dust get in brad kenton judy's best friend since childhood yelled from the bed of the truck curly thompson another neighbor was driving and judy could see brad's parents harold and martha kenton riding shotgun and middle inside the cab other neighbors would be coming as they saw smoke but these were the only ones close enough to be of immediate help judy and kathleen threw sack shovels and water jug into the truck bed and climbed inside barely having time to take a seat before Curly spun around on the circular drive and was back on the county road, heading for the fire. Brad jumped out to open the gates, throwing them aside, leaving them open for the fire trucks. Curly's truck bounced precariously over the rough ground, pushing its way through the thick grass. Judy felt a new fear, concerned that the manifold from the truck would ignite even more fires. Curly drove around the fire and directly to its head, just as Judy and her father had done before on the two small fires she'd fought. Then as now, neighbors came together to face a common threat. Both fires were out before the Dulson County fire trucks arrived. She prayed the same would be true this day. Judy, Kathleen, and the kittens jumped from the truck, grabbing sacks and shovels as they did so. Curly yelled something unintelligible and drove away. Judy assumed he would wait for the fire trucks and lead them through the complex of gates from the main highway to the field. Like berserkers, they fought fire. Brad and Harold took sharp shovels doing the heavy work of chopping out the tufts of grass too dense to be beaten into submission. Judy, Kathleen, and Martha used gunny sacks and shovels to beat the flames, moving foot by foot to extinguish the dry tinder of dense prairie grass. For a time, all went well. They made real progress. Unfortunately, nature can be a real bitch. Prairie winds are a fact of life. Their caresses on the blades of the ubiquitous windmills made possible a settlement of this rich cattle country, where surface water is as rare as hens' teeth. Prairie winds bring the rain, pump the water, make the hot, dry days of summer just a little more bearable. In the 1930s, prairie winds yanked farmers by the scruff of the neck, letting them know the consequences of applying wetland farming methods on this semi-arid prairie. The winds could be friend or foe, depending on many things, especially the foolishness of humanity in thinking it can outguess nature. The winds changed direction and speed, and the battle turned. No one said a thing, but they all knew it was time to run for their lives. Half-burned grass where they thought they'd won that battle line suddenly reignited, and a wall of flame threatened to swamp them all. Shovels and sacks were dropped, and they ran, coughing at smoke and all taking the same path, around the phalanx of the fire, and toward the side where the wall of fire did not extend, into a small break and to relative safety in the black where the fuel was already consumed. No one can understand that moment unless they've been there. In the urgency and confusion of a life-and-death moment, caring for yourself and yourself alone, not because of a choice, but because all that's real in that second is the two feet in one's immediate vicinity and the reflexes that determine whether a person will live or die. Forty years earlier, Harold Kenton had been star quarterback for the Dulson High School Wolves. His senior year, he was a month away from college scholarship when they made the play that changed his life. He'd been sacked before, but this Blarnington Fighting Irish nose guard was big, and as they went down, Harold's knee bent in a way no knee was intended to bend. They carried him off the field that night, ending his football days. Surgery put everything more or less back where it was supposed to be. He barely noticed his handicap in the decades following, able to work and ride and do anything a rancher needed to do. He barely noticed until making the most important run of his life, a run not from a defensive lineman, but from fire itself. He could see past the smoke and to the safety beyond when that 40-year-old injury said, No more, and then he gave way. Harold went down like a ton of pricks instinct set in, and he crawled to a small area that was more dirt than grass. He curled into a ball, pulling his weathered Stetson tight onto his head, then putting his arms over his face and tucking his hands beneath him. He waited. Strange thing, the human mind in crisis. As he lay there in those moments that seemed like an eternity, all he could do was try to remember the name of that long-ago nose guard. Damn, Harold thought. It's awful not to remember the name of the man who killed you. The others coughed and sputtered as they caught their breath in the relative safety of the blackened grass. Martha dropped to her knees and wretched from the cough she could not stop. Brad knelt beside his mother, holding her up by the shoulders. He wiped away his smoke-induced tears, streaking even more the soot that covered his face, and looked around, assessing the situation. Where's Dad? Brad asked. Judy and Kathleen joined him, looking round in panic for their missing neighbor. That's when they heard the screams. No! Brad yelled and turned to run towards his own demise in the flames. Judy tackled him just a few feet from the fire, and Kathleen jumped into the fray, helping her lover hold down the determined sun. Brad threw a punch, catching Judy in the right eye, inflicting what would be an awesome shiner and making her see a whole night sky full of stars. Brad, stop you can't help him yet martha yelled Brad halted his struggle hearing his mother's words grass fire moves quickly it seemed like an eternity before the flames passed the spot from which they heard screams then groans in reality it was less than a minute as soon as the fire passed that spot they were all there kneeling beside the still curled harold horrified at the blackened color of his shirt even the skin beneath his stetson was blackened and smoldering, but still seemed intact. He groaned softly. Oh, honey, how are you? Martha said, kneeling beside her husband. Darrell curled tentatively out of his fetal position, straightening his legs, careful not to roll onto his burnt back. They all knelt in a semicircle around their burned comrade. Troy, he said. His name was Troy. What the hell are you talking about, dad? Brad demanded. That's the name of the man who... Well, well, I guess he didn't kill me, he said, a note of surprise in his voice. Kathleen looked beyond the tight group, her attention drawn to a flash of light. She spotted the red lights of fire trucks, Curly's pickup leading the rescue caravan. Thank God, they're here, Kathleen said. Judy and Brad hooted when they, too, spotted the welcome sight. Curly pulled his truck near the small group and jumped out of the cab. What the hell? Harold, damn it, Harold... You okay, Curly asked. He groaned and tried to sit up. Just lie still, honey, Martha instructed, and Harold obeyed. No, Curly, old man, I'm not okay. But at least I'm only medium rare instead of well done. All three fire trucks stopped near the group. Firefighters got all out of the trucks. At two of the trucks, firefighters worked some magic at the controls on the side. From one truck, a firefighter holding a hose and nozzle took a position in a middle cage in the bed of the truck. On the other, an odd nozzle on the front bumper began to move as though it had a mind of its own. Judy watched in fascination as each truck took a position at the rear of both flanks of the fire and moved slowly forward, spraying a fan of water on the flames, putting the entire fire out, moving from back to front. The third, smaller truck had a medical emblem on the side. It pulled close to the group of friends and neighbors. A man wearing a white helmet and a woman in a blue helmet exited the truck and pulled medical equipment from a compartment on the side. Make room, please, the man said as he walked toward Harold. Oh, but Martha moved away. She stayed close, holding Harold's relatively unburned hand. The man knelt beside Harold, looking closely at his burned back, not touching. Harold well, Kenton, what the heck you been doing, the man asked. Harold began to shiver uncontrollably. Getting myself charcoal, can't you tell? How do, Ted, Martha said. Better than your husband, the man answered. Once Martha used his name, Judy knew who he was. Ted Rome had been Doolson Fire Chief for as long as she could remember. The woman in the blue helmet arrived carrying two packs of medical equipment, one marked burn kit and large letters. She wore an orange vest that had a blue EMT emblem over the left front pocket, and different gadgets filling almost every pocket. She donned surgical gloves and gently pulled away burned fragments of Harold's shirt. What you think, Sally? the chief asked. Call an air ambulance, the MT answered. Ted pulled a small electronic box that Judy didn't recognize from off his belt, punching a button to turn it on. He then took the radio from another pouch on his belt. This is Dilson Juan to dispatch. Call Air Evac and tell them to put a bird in the air. Dispatch copies, and we'll call now. What are the coordinates? Came the crackling answer over the radio. Have them launch the bird towards Dulson and then stand by for coordinates, Ted responded. Advise Air Medevac that we have a 50-ish male with first, second, and possibly third-degree burns on his back. There was a pause of a few moments as Ted stared anxiously at the mysterious electronic device. Judy realized it must be a global positioning system unit. Air ambulance has confirmed message and anticipates being airborne within five minutes, the radio crackled. Coordinates for landing zone are, Ted responded, giving a series of numbers that meant nothing to the ranchers surrounding him. When dispatch repeated and confirmed the coordinates, Ted turned to the paramedic. You got this, Sally? asked. I got it, Chief, she responded. Ted walked to the park truck, driving it away to join the other two trucks as they sought out and drowned up hot spots on the still smoldering field. Judy turned her attention from the chief to the paramedic, a woman she vaguely recognized as a teacher in town. She had no idea the woman was also in the fire department. As they all watched, the woman looked more closely at Harold's back and then gave him a quick examination from head to toe, identifying the knee injury as well as the burns. Then she carefully removed the burned material of Harold's shirt from his back. "'My name's Sally,' she said. She looked at Martha. "'Are you his wife?' "'Yes, I am.' A whole series of questions followed about Harold's medical history and medications. As they talked, the woman used a spray bottle from the burn kit to wash his back as best she could in the dusty field and then placed clean gauze atop the burns, securing the ends on unburned areas using cloth medical tape. Judy was astounded at the level of professionalism. At one point, the woman turned to Brad and described what compartment in the truck he would find a blanket to cover his shivering father. Then she instructed Martha to lie beside the shivering Harold on his relatively unburned front. We'll need to keep him warm, the woman said. Aren't you a teacher at Dulcen High? Judy asked. Yes, Sally answered. Kathleen and Judy exchanged glances. You're a volunteer firefighter, Kathleen asked. Sally rocked back on her heels, pulling an automatic wrist blood pressure cuff from the medical bag. She laughed. I'm a volunteer, yes, but I prefer to do the EMS work. Others prefer the firefighting. But Brad stuttered. You're so professional. Sally ignored him, instead focusing on taking Harold's vital signs, writing the results on the surgical glove on her left hand. She pulled a small oxygen bottle from the bag and fitted the mask on Harold, carefully removing his charred Stetson. "'Looks to me like you should thank your hat for keeping your head safe,' Sally observed. "'Nothing like a good Stetson,' Harold answered, his voice shaky. Sally glanced at Brad. "'If you're called to do this work, you have to train. Just because we're not paid, it doesn't mean it's not important to do your job right,' Sally said. Julie looked at the middle-aged teacher in front of her, one whom she'd barely noticed before. She looked at her with a whole new eye now. With a motherly gesture, Sally brushed a piece of charred grass from Harold's face. When the paramedics get here, they'll start an IV. That, that should help a lot. I'm afraid I've done all I can do. You've... Brad choked on his words, fighting tears. You've done a lot. There was nothing to do but wait. Judy looked around in the relatively calm of the moment. She saw Curly sitting on the tailgate of his pickup, his sweat-stained hat beside him, and his head in his hand. His bald head, lacking the once abundant hair that gave him his nickname, was turning red in the sun. Judy walked to him, and Kathleen followed. "You okay, Curly?" "God damn, I coulda killed y'all," Curly answered. "What are you talking about?" Judy asked. Curly motioned to where firefighters worked in teams to expose and then extinguish hot spots. "Did you see what they did?" "They started at the back of fire and worked forward." If I'd left you all at the back of the fire instead of taking you right to the head, Harold wouldn't have got burned. Judy sat on the tailgate beside him. Curly, we just did what we've always done. We did the same thing on other fires and it worked. Maybe maybe we just weren't up to a fire like this. Curly looked at Judy with watery eyes. Harold's burned because of me. Kathleen stepped to the older man and hugged him hard. Curly, don't do this to yourself. She's right. Curly, all any of us can do is our best. If you made a mistake, it's one we all made, Judy said. The distant sound of helicopter diverted their attention to the sky. Ted Rome jumped into the smaller fire truck and drove back to where the group waited around Harold. The fire chief parked next exited the truck. They watched as he tightened the chin strap on his helmet and checked to make sure none of his clothing or equipment was loose before stepping to an open level area of the field. He checked the wind direction and then, with his back to the wind, walked to the center of the landing area and raised his arms in a V. These folks know what they're doing. They wouldn't have made that mistake. Curly suddenly focused on Judy's face. What happened to your eye? Just hazards of a hard day, Judy answered. Some piece of her normally happy spirit whispered a silent giggle. She found herself wondering if she'd ever have a chance to give Brad a hard time for her blackening eye. This is Kate Peck, reading from her novel, Prairie Fire. This has been an episode of Book Clips, a lesbian talk show podcast produced by The Lesbian Review. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please help others to find it by rating and subscribing on iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. If you are an author interested in sending us a book clip, go to thelesbiantalkshow.com reading for more information.